We would like to advise that the following program may contain real news, occasional philosophy, and ideas that may offend some listeners. It's time to talk about AI. Again. This time, generative AI. AI has entered creative work. It's changing the work of designers, of artists, of anyone really who works with media, with graphics design. Some of our listeners might have heard over the last few months about Dolly, about Midjourney, about Stable Diffusion. It's time now to finally unpack it. Let's do it. From the University of Sydney Business School, this is Sydney Business Insights, an initiative that explores the future of business. And you're listening to The Future This Week, where Sandra Peter and Kai Rima sit down every week to rethink trends in technology and business. Before we talk AI, there were a couple of other news items that we must bring up today. One of them like a really good news item, right? Last Friday, the Australian electricity grid set a new record for the proportion of electricity generated by renewables. Woohoo! Hey. A good record, right? <laughs> a good record for once, yes. 68.7% of electricity in Australia was generated by renewables at 12.30pm, so midday on the 28th of October. And that's a new record. In some states like Western Australia, it went up all the way to about 80%. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. It shows that renewables are having an actual Impact, only 29% in that period came from coal. Obviously, that's a midday measurement. Batteries are being rolled out across the country as well. That will allow the grid to also draw more on renewables during the, you know, the darker parts of the 24-hour period. But most of it came from rooftop solar, which shows that all that solar on people's roofs is having an impact on changing the energy mix. That's pretty good news. There's also been... Other kind of obscure news. That yeah, yours seems, is weird, isn't it? It is quite weird. I, I feel this is like the very early TikTok moment where, you know, quite a few years ago now, we heard about TikTok and we were like, what is this app and what is it for? Yeah, like karaoke and kids musically TikTok. That was a weird moment. And now it's big. Now it's big and it's everywhere. And it's just, you know. It's TikTok. But this is shopping. This is an obscure shopping app that has become, over the last week, the most downloaded app in the US. The app's called Timu. I think that's how you pronounce it because no one seems to know. It's an e-commerce app that's gone up to the top of the charts in the US. So it's the most downloaded shopping app in the US. That means that it's had to beat Amazon. It's had to beat Walmart and even Shane, the other Chinese competitor. It's a Chinese app. To be fair, those apps are on many phones already, but it is significant and it's making a steep rise. A very, very steep rise. It's been around for a very long time in China. It's a global version of the Chinese e-commerce company and app Pinduoduo, which is huge. They've beat Alibaba in China. And they're one of the big Chinese companies now attempting to replicate that success that companies like Douyin have had with TikTok in the US entering a different market. Xin has been the same. But Just to give it context, this app has managed to get into China and beat Alibaba. That was the established competitor. And it's now got over 730 million active users every month. About twice as many users as the U.S. has people. 
every month that is active users. And it's known for extremely, extremely dirt cheap prices and all sorts of other gimmicks that they do to keep people on the platform. I feel we should talk about this. Remember we did Little Red Book? We did TikTok first, then we did Sha Shu. We did Little Red Book with Kishi. It's time, I think, to have another one of those. You've never heard of this and it's huge. Okay, we should do that in one of our next episodes. But I also have, of course, It's a Musk it's a mask, yes. It had to come So, up. Chief Twit Elon has seized the main seat at the Big Blue Bird. Now it looks like it's the only seat. Right? Yes, he <laughs> has <laughs> basically taken out all the other chairs from the boardroom and has made himself the only director and chief executive of the company. And he's making changes. He is firing people. As he came in, right, he fired the company's... CEO, CFO. Anyone with a C in front of it. Pretty much, gone. Yeah. But also he's spilling a lot of other people reportedly in the content moderation part of the company and other parts. And he's looking for ways to charge because he paid a hefty markup on Twitter in a market environment where lots of tech companies have gone down in value. He has to recover some of that cost, apparently. And most of the money Twitter makes nowadays is from advertising. So it looks like they're going to try to monetize other parts of Twitter. One of them could be the blue tick. Yeah, the verified user tick for which he wants to start charging a monthly fee. Not quite clear where it will land. That's one of those ideas. And I'm sure there'll be other subscription tiers, different models that they'll experiment with. But there's also, of course, this whole discussion around what will it mean for what the platform looks like, what discourse on the platform is like. And we're not quite clear where this is moving because he's been sending mixed signals. Yes, on the one hand, he's been known as a free speech absolutist. Anything should go. You should be allowed to say anything you want and everyone should be allowed to be on the platform. On the other hand, he now seems to be signaling that there needs to be some sort of content moderation, but seemingly not the type of content moderation that Twitter is doing now. Yeah, it's not quite clear where he lands, but he has moderated his stance on content moderation he says that it's important for the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence. Probably acknowledging that if anything goes and the trolling and inciting violence and everything is allowed, it will crowd out certain views and people might leave the platform. So remains to be seen how big the changes around content moderation will actually be. Also, there's the European Union and quite harsh legislation. But in the meantime, Elon Musk has also appeared in a deepfake ad. Yeah, as if he wasn't all over the media already. The deepfake ad, which is actually an explainer for a new type of startup investment platform, doesn't actually have permission from Elon Musk to use his face. So it uses a deepfake version of him, which, by the way, looks quite good. We'll include the link in the show notes. It has him in the bathtub, though. Yes, it's a spoof on the Wolf of Wall Street. It is a bit disturbing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the video has robust disclaimer saying that, you know, this is satire, this is parody, but still Elon Musk had nothing to do with the making of it. And the company has received active interest from over 20,000 people from 80 countries in their products and services. Yeah, genius move. Include Elon Musk without his permission. Media picks it up, gives you extra publicity. It's not the only one, right? There's a number of celebrities who are 
faced with people using deepfake versions of them in what is clearly parody or satire, but nonetheless kind of associating their clout with the products or services that they're spruiking. There was another one featuring Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's almost as if this story takes us directly to the main topic of today, which is how synthetic media will transform the world of business. That's one of them. Not exactly the one we're going to talk about, but this AI-generated synthetic media is now everywhere. The diffusion of these technologies is really democratizing the creation of what's now called synthetic media or synthetic content. That means every one of us and every one of our listeners could go online now and use one of these AI platforms to generate an image of pretty much anything in the style of anything that they can think of, a photo, a drawing, a Van Gogh, anything that they want, plant, animal, mineral. <laughs> <laughs> and the story today comes from Computer World, and it really talks about the various kinds of synthetic media that there are, and then homes in on the kind of technologies that are making the most headlines at the moment, which is Dolly, Stable Diffusion, or Mid-Journey, what is now commonly known as generative AI, which also includes text-based systems such as GPT-3. And we'll include a few links in the show notes because we've touched especially on text generators and a few other ones of these technologies quite a few times on the future this week. But today we're talking about, as you mentioned, things like Dolly or Stable Diffusion or Mid-Journey, which over the last few months have really allowed us to create hyper-realistic images of pretty much just anything we want just by typing text into a text box. So I would say I want to see a poodle riding a surfboard in front of the Sydney Opera House. And lo and behold, you get a few versions of that. Not everything looks hyper-realistic, but things are getting pretty close. And that's what we call synthetic media. Yeah, synthetic media or synthetic content seems to become the catch-all phrase that includes the imagery that is produced by, by this generative AI, but also things like digital humans, deepfakes, content that goes into the metaverse, 3D versions of content. So it's an umbrella term, but at the very heart of it is what we call generative AI, those big, what we also call foundational models, these systems trained on either large amounts of texts from the internet, as in GPT-3, or large databases of images that are scraped from all over the internet and public sources that underpin those systems like Dolly. It could be anything, right? It could be text that is trained on, it could be images, it could be audio to generate synthetic audio, it could Voices, be video yeah, sound. to generate synthetic video. But the pace at which these have taken off is tremendous. So if you take just one of them, let's say Dolly, which is open for everyone to use, and it only costs a couple of cents to generate an image. DALI, for example, has more than 1.5 million users generating images every single day to the tune of about 2 million of these images being generated every single day. And that's only one platform. Which all feed back onto the internet. <laughs> more cat pictures. But we want to talk about how these technologies already start changing various business practices in the creative industries and what these technologies might become. We can see glimpses of that. We're at the beginning of what might well be 
quite a disruptive event. And that is a disruptive event for the types of jobs and tasks that people do, a disruptive event for well-established business models, not only on the creative arts, but internet business models, and also quite a disruptive moment for how we think about what art is. Let's start by pointing out that it does challenge in some fundamental way the narrative around automation. I mean, we put in the show notes our Unlearn Project episode where we showed that the idea that AI takes away the menial work will leave us with better work is not quite true. Sometimes it makes our work harder, but it also doesn't seem to be true that AI only takes away the, you know, the stupid menial tasks and humans are left with all the glorious creative work because now these systems actually go to the very heart of creative design work. But here's where some people might go, oh, well, you have to be very creative to think of a poodle on a surfboard in front of the Sydney Opera House. So let's have a quick look at what people actually do with this. And not as a fun pastime thing before they start recording a podcast, but as part of their work or their creative process. For instance, Kevin Roos in a recent New York Times article spoke to quite a few different people in the creative industries about what they do with Dolly and these kinds of technologies. And they spoke to a game designer, for example, who uses Dolly to illustrate each new release in his online game. He would previously have to, you know, source images from a freelancer, which he says was not only costly for what is quite a niche game, but also would take him quite a bit of time in reviewing artists' renditions, and he's now able to come up with really good solutions in the matter of minutes. They've also changed how people do restoration. We'll include a link in the show notes to how people have used AI tech to bring 19th century portraits back to life, adding color and then movement and emotions to the portraits. There's also a wonderful example of a movie showing a day in London in the 1930s that has been upgraded and colored to better reflect what the day might have looked like in the 1930s. The New York Times also spoke to Patrick Clare, who's a, a filmmaker here in Sydney. He's worked on projects like Westworld. And he pointed out that oftentimes he needs to pitch ideas to a film studio, so he needs to have visual elements to showcase what he has in mind. And he would spend a lot of time going through image databases like Shutterstock to find the right image. And now he can use Dolly to put a prompt in and iterate and find a picture that comes much closer to what he wants to actually show than what he would normally find in databases of pre-existing pictures, where the technology now has a place in his creative workflow. And even here on the SBI team, we've used images and creations by Dolly and by Stable Diffusion to add artwork for some of the posts that we put up on our website. Stephen Summer has created a few of these works using various software to find a perfect match to what we were trying to illustrate. Things like data is not the new oil. And my birthday card. <laughs> yeah, and we also created a birthday card for Megan with Dolly. But the point here is really that you can illustrate abstract concepts by playing around with prompts and you can do things fairly easily that would otherwise take a lot of work either in computer imaging or otherwise photo shoots. You can have dogs play poker, you can have animals Things surfing. Things that might be not only impossible to make or might be just very, very costly to access. 
Yeah, and now you can do this in a very easy and straightforward way. And it's not just fully colored things. You can use this as a sketch tool. There's a service designer quoted in the same article. She creates very simple black and white drawings to illustrate, say, process models or handbooks and things like that improving the workflow. She and other people say that they might not necessarily at this stage include Dolly renditions in their final works, but in the creative process of iterating forward to what the final work might look like, it has become a really useful tool. You could argue here that one might still need an eye for design and for the concept that goes into this. And in some cases that is true, but often the design eye comes from you using a very particular style that might rely on someone else, either an artist or another designer having thought deeply about these elements and where you place things on a canvas and then importing that style just to add the design to the concept that you want to achieve. And increasingly in programs like Dolly and Stable Diffusion, there are many prompts that help along with that process either by auto-completing the prompt that you want to design or by using GPT-3 to actually add to what you're doing. There's also websites now where you can actually get ideas for what prompts would look like or copy and paste the prompt and then just customize it. So a lot of scaffolding and a lot of help and a lot of drawing on previous creative work. So let's talk about what this means for various actors in this industry. And the first one would be designers of various kinds. For people who do art, for instance, for covers of magazines or of books, on the one hand, it is a tool that they can employ to help them do the work and do the work more easily or generate more concept art for a client. But it can also mean losing clients who now choose to do it themselves because the platform enables them to do this at almost zero cost and with very little skill. And there's already reports of designers who say that clients have jumped ship and using generative AI to do what they would normally charge money for. And even artists that charge a lot for prime artwork would engage in bread and butter, more commercial design work that is now threatened by the use of these systems. Even we've used samples of this work rather than going to a designer and say, hey, can you do some concept work around this? We've used this software to try to generate some early prototypes to help our thinking along. But it also has implications for the places designers would previously have sourced images from, such as Shutterstock or similar image databases. These are online marketplaces where you can type in the type of imagery that you want, you know, man standing in front of the University of Sydney building, smiling whilst wearing a dark jacket. And then trying to find someone having taken a picture like that, uploaded it and now selling it for royalty payments. So the Computer World article is fairly explicit about the way in which these platforms might be disrupted. And we can already see that some are embracing the new technology. A TechCrunch article reports on a platform called Creative Fabrica, who give access for a monthly fee to millions of stickers and artwork and clip art and all kinds of things that designers can use in their work. They are now allowing users to use their own generative AI engine to create images and then sell them on the platform. And it's not clear where this will end up. Many companies are struggling with what stance to take. We've seen, for instance, companies like Shutterstock first 
banning all AI-generated art from their website and actively going after and removing any images generated by models such as DALI or Midjourney or Stable Diffusion, but now changing their stance and deciding, for instance, that they're going to allow images created by DALI on their platform and they will try to find ways to compensate the human artists on whose work the AI model has drawn to be able to generate these images. And so these platforms find themselves really at a crossroads where it's not quite clear where the industry will end up because you could argue that, you know, why would I want to license or buy clip art that someone created with Dolly? Why not just use Dolly to create what I want the clip art to look like? So I think there's a real soul searching going on with these platforms and the question about where their niche will be. There's certainly a redefinition of what access to imagery and artwork will look like. It's also not quite clear where artists will come down in this new world, not only in terms of compensation and what they might get from people using their... Their style, really? Their style to begin with, but some artists have already expressed... Frustration. Anger. <laughs> Frustration, anger at the fact that, you know, they might have spent years or decades of their lives developing a particular style. And we're not talking about, you know, dead artists like Van Gogh. We're talking about current artists who are now seeing their work used to generate new images and any compensation they might get is very, very small. This also raises questions about what type of work gets included in the training data sets that these models use. So just a reminder, these foundational models are built by taking in millions or billions of pictures that are often sourced from the internet, many of which represent copyrighted works, artworks, all kinds of imagery. To the extent that when someone puts a prompt to these generative AI systems, they can say, I want something in the style of Van Gogh or Rembrandt or popular contemporary artists who are still alive and who now find themselves in a weird world where they are trying to sell their original artworks, whereas someone can now create images that look like they were painted in the same style. So the way forward needs to include figuring out how to do consensual data collection. So only the works of people who have agreed to have their work be used to train AI models should be included and find ways to genuinely compensate the people whose work is being used as inspiration. None of which will be easy because on the one hand, Dolly, for example, doesn't open up its training data set while Stable Diffusion has made it searchable. So artists can actually see if their work were included, which opens the door for compensation, for maybe opting out of having data included. So I think there's a lot of catching up to do with legislation and how we think about business models there. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that this is an enormously creative moment for entertainment, for media, for advertising, and really for democratizing that space for everyone. It's also a time suck. It's so much fun playing around with these systems. And if you want to see some good examples of this, you might want to have a look at the artwork for this episode of The Future This Week. All of those images will have been created by one of these generative AI systems and we'll include all the links in the show notes. If you've created your own art, send it to us, tweet it to us. We'd love to hear from you.
And that's all we have time for today. We're going back to playing with this weird and wonderful world of uh, generative AI. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Future This Week from the University of Sydney Business School. Sandra Peter is the Director of Sydney Business Insights and Kai Rima is Professor of Information Technology and Organisation. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter and WeChat and follow, like or leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any weird or wonderful topics for us to discuss, send them to sbi at sydney.edu.au.